You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network. Today's episode is titled The Psychology of Teamwork and Building a Mature IT Organization. And I'm really excited to welcome Bill Zelensky, CIO at the City of Dallas, former CIO at the Social Security Administration, with 30 years and one month of federal IT experience. We are in for a treat today. Bill, welcome to Tech Tables. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe, appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. You might be wondering, Joe, why did you say 30 years and one month? I listened back to a couple podcasts that Bill was on and that was the term he used. So I don't know if it was 30 years, one month, one day, four hours, but that's what it was. So it was very specific. But I love that. You clocked in that 30 years right on the dot. So Absolutely. Yeah, love that. Okay, so before we jump in, today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Nagaro Public Sector Team. Nagaro Public Sector excels at helping senior technology leaders in digital disruption from cloud to AI to big data and digital product engineering to system integration work across platforms. To learn more about Nagaro, check out nagaro.com. And of course, I've got to thank my good friend, Samuel Navarro at the GSA for introducing us. Had dinner with Sam in Washington, D.C. not that long ago, and we had a blast. It was really great. We got some great photos near the White House. But Bill, we're going to kick back to you. We're going to leave Sam in D.C. And we'll get back. Actually, we're going to get back to him at the end of this podcast with this Q&A session. But let's start with sports, coaching, and development. We're both coaches who love investing in kids. And I was curious what you learned from coaching and development that you've brought back to the teams at the Social Security Administration, the GSA, and now the city of Dallas? Joe, that is such a great question. And it's amazing at how often I come back to those parallels between either parenting or coaching children and being in a professional workplace. And I guess the thing that I'd say is, so I have three boys and have gone through Little League with each of them and soccer. And I think what strikes me is, especially when the kids are young, right? You come to a a realization very early that there's really two levels of development that you have to do with those teams, right? There's individual player development. So you have to work with each of the players individually, have to help coach them and guide them through the basics and fundamentals of the game that they're playing, help them understand skill development as an individual player, and then you bring them back together and you teach them how they then interact with each other as an overall team. So if you're thinking I could just throw them all at the team, all on the field at the same time, coach them up all at the same time, that then it's more, much more complicated for you. What you really need to do is focus on those two areas. One, individual development, and then figuring out as you develop them as individuals, 
how you bring the best out of each of those players and incorporate them into a team. And I think that's exactly the case when you're talking about managing an organization. I love that. Two levels of development. I was actually thinking about this too, as I'm preparing for my presentation for task and the when it comes to mission and being mission driven, I think there's two missions. One is a personal mission and one is a vocational mission. And I think the intersection of those two is the superpower that is when you really start to take off. So I love that you had those two levels of development right there. I see the parallels. On our intro call, you had mentioned that you earned a degree in counseling and psychology. You took some internship in college, working with children at risk. I think maybe you got a little scared. I don't know if that was the right word you used on the other podcast, but you would study the behaviors and psychology of children and I imagine adults too. Could you maybe share a little bit with about that time and how those experiences have helped you navigate the relational complexities in the workforce today? Yeah. And Joe, I, it, scared is the right word. I, so I did these internships with a group called Catholic Community Services. They practice very classic therapy and their whole goal was to keep the family unit together. So when you had a child that was in crisis that was having issues or problems, then sometimes what occurs is that child can be separated from the family unit. Their overarching goal was to say, let's go ahead and figure out what's happening with the family, what's happening with the individual, and how is it we can treat both? Because in so doing, we can really keep that unit together. And I think what I just described is, this, is very much the case in an organization. And again, it goes right back to what I said earlier about working with the individual and working with the unit. And I think in that kind of dynamic, there are things that each of us bring to the table in our profession, in our job that can affect us or impact us on an individual level. Our individual performance and how we navigate the world can be impacted and affected by those things that are happening in our environment. But those things can then also affect the team. Conversely, those things that are occurring with the team in the orbit of the broader team can affect the individual. So I think that the, that kind of thinking about the context in which you exist as an individual and how that context can affect you and how you can affect that context is something that is true in a professional setting. I think, I think we can focus very much on kind of the technical skills that are needed within an organization but we ignore those human dynamics that are needed to ensure that you have the cohesion on the team and that you understand how to work with each other towards best effect. What's the effect of the team on the individual? What's the effect of the individual on the team? That is a study of kind of human interaction, but it can be something very powerful in a professional setting. Yeah. And we had, on our intro call, we had talked and you know, anytime there's something wrong with technology, often probably every time there's something going on with the person behind the technology. And that's the kind of the key part. It's really a people's business. And, and that's just at the end of the day, you have to be able to, to be aware and make those investments in people. And, and then the IT piece, the technology piece is going to flow out of that. Let's jump into building a mature IT organization. You had mentioned that mature IT organizations have a shared understanding of goals and values. I love that. And what often seems like to be a current climate of like confrontation, like how do you create a culture of understanding, especially when it's not your own ways or your values? Could you maybe share with the audience some exercises that you have walked your team through to help flesh out the nuances of understanding both with the team and the individual goals and values? 
Yeah, Joe, that is a really great question. And uh, what, here's what's really great about being in public service. 30 years in one month with, with the feds, a couple of years now at the local level. I'll tell you that idea of knowing and understanding where there is value or how and what you do is important. It's often easy to make that connection. Hey, if you're in a city like the city of Dallas with 1.4 million folks and Every morning you wake up and you hear the things that are on top of mind of the residents and businesses of the city. You, you understand how the role that you play in delivering city services is critical and vital um, to the day-to-day -day lives of, of everybody, of all 1.4 million people in the city. So for me, I consider myself lucky because I have been fortunate to be in organizations where you understand immediately how you are connected to a mission. It's a purpose-driven existence. It's easy to understand that connection. I do think in the busyness of our day-to-day -day lives, we sometimes become the tasks that we perform and we lose sight of who we're serving at the end of the day or the purpose that it's for. And that can be especially true in an IT organization because you're a couple of degrees disconnected from that portion of the service delivery. So. One of the things that I really like to do is I like to put my team through a discussion where we really stop, step back, and we ask ourselves the questions, who are we, what do we do, why is it important, and what do we need to do to be successful? Because there are times that as we keep layering on or organically grow the sets of functions or the things that we do, we start doing things because that's on our list of things to do. And, and if we really sit back and peel that back and ask for each of those things that we're doing, are they simply tasks that we're performing, or can we connect those to the purpose that we serve? And that becomes very powerful, helping to connect people back to the purpose that they serve. So that becomes their North Star in the actions that they take and the decisions that they make. And to me, that's a key and important thing as you're talking about a leadership team in an organization, and then being able to then communicate that very clearly to all of the people in the organization. Get that leadership team focused in and around, coalesced around the purpose we serve and why we do it. Make sure that we're connecting that back to the work that we do and then helping to communicate that more broadly across the organization so that we really understand how it is that the work that we do is important and who it's serving. Yeah, I love everything that you just said right there. Connecting the tasks to the purpose that they serve. When I was at the live, when I was hosting the live podcast event in Austin just a few weeks ago, I was hearing from Sean Rogers, who is a chief digital officer. And one of the things she was talking about was the, the basically the childcare payments and things like that. And her ability to connect her technology tasks to maybe a single mom who needs, who's relying on those payments. I thought it was really powerful. I grew up with a single mom. The cloud didn't exist back then, but but same kind of same premise of there are single moms out there, single parents who single dads who are focused on on their children and are relying on those payments and things like that. So I think that was really great. When you can make that connection, that's very powerful. Bill, you mentioned on our intro call that technology represents the art of the possible. That's like another really great that was actually a podcast title that I had. For a gal by the name of Stacy Mills, she was the chief technology officer for the state of Kansas. I think she's in the private sector now and, and somewhere in Nashville. But I just love that art of the possible. It always stuck with me. But what are two to three examples of where you've seen technology transform and impact the community you serve in Dallas right now? 
Yeah, so I'll start with this. I've been in technology in some way, shape, or form for the better part of the last 30 years. And I think we're at this amazing place in technology where you think about the ubiquity or the omnipresence of network, the increased speed of network, cloud computing, OT, all of these things, when you start to look at them, and I absolutely have to throw in artificial intelligence and the use of data and, and being able to exploit the power of data, you start to combine all of these things and then you put them in a city setting, wow, it's really powerful. So that's, even after 30 plus years, to me, this is as exciting of a time as I've ever seen in technology and to combine that with being in a city because what this allows for us to do is to change and modify how we in the city deliver services. If you think about those classic service delivery models, they're often about a resident or somebody from the business community coming to a physical brick and mortar location and informing the city that they have a need for a city service. It's a very reactive form of government. Hey, we can do all these things in government. You just need to tell us that you need us to do that. Where we are today with these technologies is we are transforming this to a much more proactive manner in which we are delivering services. So think about things like, we're exploring things like building digital twins of our city. So having these digital twins where we have this really granular information in and around our physical infrastructure, whether those are streets or bridges, or they are traffic signals, or they are water delivery systems. And those systems that we have out in place now have sensors and monitors that layer on top of our digital twin and help us understand the health of those services that are being delivered over time and allow us to be able to predict when and where we're going to need to deliver services. It helps us see where there's some degradation of a service that's being provided. And it allows for us to deploy, deploy employees out to those locations in order to address a potential problem or a future problem, as opposed to waiting for something bad to happen and having to have a member of the public report that they are in distress because there's a problem that has occurred. And you could apply this in so many different ways from a public public safety mission perspective, things like gunshot detection or things like monitoring of streets for, for street takeovers or accidents. There are so many use cases in and around where you start to combine sensors, things like optical devices like cameras that are just accumulating data and we're using machine learning and artificial intelligence to be able to create models that, that actionable events and allow for us to proactively deliver a service as opposed to waiting for somebody to call us or to go online or to walk into one of our buildings and tell us they need something. Uh, we're showing up and they're saying, hey, I was just thinking about calling you. So think about that from a service delivery perspective. And that just gets me excited every day. Oh, I love that service. To yeah. There are a lot of really great examples on the service delivery front. Exciting to see where you're going to take and continue to take Dallas. I know it takes a long-term perspective and roadmap. I think everybody always wants everything to happen overnight. <laughs> That's not how it works. As you've learned in 30 years, things take time to get done, especially if you want to do it. We're looking forward to seeing what you continue to ship and uh, come out with in, in Dallas. Part of how I prep for interviews is by listening to other podcasts that, that my guests have appeared on. And so as I was researching you, you had a phrase on another podcast that caught my attention. You said, you love to parachute into challenges. This is my kind of guy right here. Love to parachute into <laughs> challenges. I, I've got on my phone, I'm an entrepreneur, make your own rules. 
So I have a, it was, I went to this Dave Ramsey Entre Leadership Summit conference and the tagline was make your own rules, which really spoke to me as an entrepreneur. I would love to make my own rules, and, but I loved this. I love to parachute and challenges. I might have to make a sticker out of that. Could you maybe just expand upon a little bit about what you meant by parachuting and challenges? Absolutely. So given a choice of going to some place where everything is just running smoothly and beautifully and hey, Bill, what we really need you to do is just make sure make sure everything stays on track and keeps where it needs to go. Wow, I would run from that, right? To, to me, the idea that you're going someplace and just being the storekeeper, it doesn't give me that opportunity to help an organization grow and learn. It doesn't give me the opportunity to say, how is it that I can improve the state of operation in this organization, either at that individual pers person level or at a broader organization level? I always have a goal, Joe, that I want to work myself out of a job. When I come into an organization, I want to make a contribution. I want to help that organization improve. But I want to be able to say in three or four or five years that, hey, I've decided I'm going to move on. And what I want to have happen is for people to say, they're going to miss you. But we're ready to move forward because you've placed us in a position to where we can build upon what you've done. The thought that an organization would be dependent upon me is as abhorrent to me. I would much rather have it be, I jump in, I parachute in, I recognize those things that need to be fixed and improved. I put programs and things in place that not only fix those things, but actually foundationally help them prepare for whatever comes next. And then I could just fade away. I could just move out of the picture and be ready for that next challenge. That's very exciting to me. And that's what I really mean when I say I like to parachute into challenges. Yeah, that's really great. You said storekeeper. And for some reason, just in my head, like, I think the best CIOs are not order takers and they I'd probably get bored too. So I, I love that. And then working yourself out of a job, I think is great. I think I had read this book on, on multiplying leaders. And I think that's really the leadership goal in the end is can you create and multiply leaders? And then to your point, work yourself out to where those next leaders, that next generation can come in. And so that, I think also it speaks to humility, which I love because it's not about you, which I think is an opening line to a book I read. And so I love that. I love that. One of the things going back to making your own rules, the subtag line for that conference was causing the wave. And when you say parachuting to challenges, I'm thinking a little bit something similar in a good way of disruption. And so midway through 2022, I was curious, what areas do you see in Dallas that are ripe for technological disruption? Wow. I think when we, when I first started with the city of Dallas, the city was already working on issues in and around the digital divide. If you're physically in the city of Dallas and you're moving between the different parts, you will recognize and you will see that there are some disparities in the infrastructure um, in different parts of the city. You could drive from one area of the city into the next and you will see that the roads aren't as good in some sections and you got to watch out for some of those potholes so they don't swallow your car in some sections. and the sidewalks start to disappear and you don't see as many grocery stores and you don't see as many street lights. And that same, those same disparities are true when we talk about the digital environment. And I think what we're seeing more and more is that the lack of digital equity is driving material outcomes. It's driving material outcomes in terms of 
educational attainment for students. In today's world, if you need to avail yourself of medical assistance, you can generally get an appointment much more quickly if you're utilizing telemedicine as opposed to if you need to go into a location. You're generally seeing those availability of those appointments much sooner if you have that digital access. And for any number of different things in terms of telecommuting for a job, if you want to be able to have some level of employment, getting those interviews and being able to participate. So we are seeing material outcomes being generated, the haves and have nots in the digital world. So I think for us, as we start, I talked about all those exciting things that we can do in the city with the technology that's available now. We won't be able to deliver that everywhere in the city if we don't ensure that we have great telecommunications infrastructure everywhere broadly across the city. That becomes the baseline. Does everybody have high-speed, low-cost internet within their home, the devices that they need to be able to utilize that network access, and the know-how on how to successfully utilize those, those devices as well as navigate in the digital world. So that becomes the baseline. Is, and so for us in the city of Dallas, we're hyper-focused on how it is that we can address that base level of network infrastructure, access to the internet, devices to utilize the internet, as well as the know-how and the support to successfully navigate. And what that's going to do is create opportunity for everybody, right? It's not just that we're targeting a particular population to help them with this nice to have. It really has become a necessity for folks to have that service. And at the end of the day, we in the city of Dallas will be creating opportunity, not just for those individuals, but for the city itself by ensuring that we have that kind of digital equity across the city. I That's the... Joe, that's the item that I would point to as like a number one on our list for how technology can improve the stead of the city of Dallas. Yeah, wow, that is really great. I'm curious, you're on the ground a lot more than I do. Of the three, I was very curious around what you think is the mo- most important one, infrastructure, devices, or know-how. What are you seeing right now in Dallas? Huh, you're going to make me pick, huh? I, I Maybe you had to pick one. <laughs> I think it's the infrastructure. I think we have a really strong coalition of the willing. The good news is that between between industry, between the nonprofits and those who are community support organizations, between educational institutions, between governments, there's a coalition of the willing. There's a lot of folks who are willing to jump in and lend support where they can. But I do think that the ensuring that we have low-cost, high-speed internet that's available to every household in the city is the baseline. What we saw during the pandemic is that we had a lot of folks using our digital services or having utilizing digital services. But what we probably didn't quite realize at the level that we could have or should have is that a lot of those folks were actually coming into our libraries. They were utilizing the equipment, the end user devices that we have in our libraries, and they were utilizing the staff to help them. So all those three things that I said is access to the internet, people to help them and the devices to access on. When our libraries shut down our community centers and our other places because of the pandemic, we saw that drop off. We saw how that impacted people. And so while having those community spaces in place that they can go to is still important and still a good thing, the baseline really should be that they have those things available to them in their home. And I think once you get that internet access in place, then they're going to be folks who can and will fill in the gaps in terms of providing the equipment and providing the assistance to them. Yeah, no, that's really great. I I also agree with you. The perspective that I have coaching high school basketball after the game, when you're in the locker room, all the kids have their iPads right now. 
and the devices are deployed. I'm like, okay, devices are deployed. And the know-how piece, I feel like not it's necessarily easy, but I don't think we give enough credit. Kids are pretty, like they can figure stuff out, especially nowadays, specifically at the high school level. Obviously, if you're a little bit younger, it's a little bit different. But at the high school level, the kids are figuring out how to use the iPads. They're pretty dialed in there. But the infrastructure piece, yeah, I think it's huge. Especially, I know a lot of kids who don't have internet in their home, even in a place like Southern California. Do the devices, can they connect to internet? And thankfully, Santa Barbara is a pretty small town. The infrastructure for the most part is here, but I lived in other spots in Chicago and other places where the infrastructure is not there. And having that low cost, high speed is super important. And actually in Southern California, it's high speed, high cost. It's not low cost, which is the problem they need to address for us. As we wrap up this podcast, I'm very excited. I didn't have a chance to drop this into the doc yet. So I'm going to read this from Samuel Navarro. We're going to wrap up with you. I know you're not on the podcast, but I know you texted me this morning, which you're dying to ask, Bill. We talked about wireless broadband across the city of Dallas. You're looking to lay over 100 miles of fiber. He's asking, what opportunities do you foresee in the expansion to the broadband underserved? Now, I think you answered a little bit of that earlier. But if you could maybe just expand upon the potential opportunities and having the experience you have potentially like the vision once the infrastructure is fully rolled out? Yeah, so it's a great question by Sam and shout out to Sam, adore him. The, so the, uh, let me start by saying this, city of Dallas, unlike some other municipalities or other areas, we don't necessarily have a, an issue or a problem with availability of fiber. We have a lot of, we have a lot of companies who have laid a lot of infrastructure throughout the city. So fortunately for the city is our baseline of starting in terms of that physical fiber optic infrastructure, it's pretty good. The question is, it does it reach all of the places within the city it needs to? Is it necessarily laid out or arrayed or made available in a way that is accessible to folks? So available is one thing, but are there other barriers to entry in terms of access to that? And a lot of the work that we have done is to micro identify those areas where there are those gaps and looking at how is it that we can work with industry, both to ensure the reach of those services to those areas, but also for the ability of the folks who are in those locations to remove the barriers of access, whether that's a cost factor or something else. So I'll, I will say City of Dallas, we're starting from a good baseline. The, the interest for us in expanding our reach through, through further infrastructure is that not only can we hit that baseline of ensuring that we have high-speed, low-cost internet services into every household, and by putting that infrastructure in place, it means that our reach to every corner of the city is enhanced tremendously, but also it serves as the foundation for all of those other really great smart city initiatives, right? The sorts of digital services that allows for us to be proactive and put monitoring place and improve the flow of traffic and watch and monitor the delivery of water systems and wastewater systems. So our being able to put that infrastructure in place really allows for us to deliver much, much better, more proactive services at a much better price point. But it also means that all of our citizens in Dallas will benefit from it as well. It creates opportunities. It creates business opportunities for those who are looking to start or expand a business. It creates opportunities for individuals, 
who are looking to be upwardly mobile or to have opportunities for employment. And so it really is this infrastructure is much like things like electricity was oh so many years ago or public transportation systems were 60, 75 years ago. This is that next generation of that. And it really is a win-win for everybody who's involved in this area. Yeah, I love that. I love what you said about creating business opportunities. I knew I knew a kid at the high school who had an iPad and the drawings he could do on an iPad were incredible. And he was talking to me and I think he had tried out, but I think he got cut from the basketball team. But one day I just saw these on his iPad and talking and he's telling me, Hey, I live in this apartment over here with my mom and I got to go get a job. And then I was like, Hey, you know what? Let, let's spend a little bit of time where I think you could teach people how to do this. And so instead of going to work at McDonald's, I thought that's a terrible job. Let's take the creativity that you have and let's see if you can earn some income off of it. And then the kids started rolling with this. This is why I love entrepreneurship. And he had this like little mini business in high school and he kind of set up a landing page and he's, basically selling to other kids like these drawings, how to do it with the Apple Pencil. And I love that. And so it's just opportunity. And he didn't have that opportunity. I mean, he didn't have any internet at his house. He just had the iPad and, and that's it. And so it's pretty incredible what you can do nowadays. So I'm excited and love, hope Sam, hope that answers your question, Sam. If you have a follow-up, I'm, you're friends with Bill. I'm sure you can ping him afterwards for a deeper dive. Um, Bill, where can people find you? Where do you like to hang out? If anyone wants to reach out to you, is it LinkedIn, Twitter, email? Or are you just Link- so you just so super busy right now? LinkedIn. You can always hit me LinkedIn. on LinkedIn. I do respond to to requests that come in. Awesome, awesome. So LinkedIn's the spot if you want to connect with Bill. And Bill, thank you for coming on Tech Tables. I had a blast, and looking forward to seeing what you're doing in the great state of Texas and in Dallas. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it too. Be well. You're listening to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop an email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind the mic newsletter and one of today's podcast sponsors is tech tables plus an engaging new community where you can have early access to never before released episodes early access to live event recordings early access to weekly three interesting learnings early access to live event ticket purchases no episode ads and more plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today bonus number one access to the ceo show Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network.